So if you got a Bible again, we're in Jeremiah 13. Um, I want to start out by just kind of setting the table for what we're going to talk about tonight. I think we all can agree there are some truths and there are some virtues that we all as a people, not just Christians, but as a people, uh, that are so big that they're almost common knowledge. There are some things that whether you're a believer or not, There are some things that kind of the human race kind of just comes together and says, you know what, yeah, that's probably true, or that probably is real, or that probably is something that everybody should kind of at least say, yeah, that's the case. And, and we all might have our, you know, certain, uh, certain things that we think, well, those are given, those are common knowledge. That's something that I think everybody probably would figure out. Um, now, of course, the Bible and other things, other forms of revelation and knowledge help us get, help, help us get to the certain things. But I think there's a few things in this world that everybody kind of figures out um, that, you know what, that's probably something everybody should believe or somebody should uh, acknowledge or something that we all can accept as um, real. Uh, just like, you know, we all kind of, you know, we, we all know that gravity is a thing. We don't, you know, may not know what it is or how it works. We all kind of understand that if you throw something up in the air, it's going to fall back down. Um, that's just a kind of a law of nature. But in the same token, there's, there's some laws of humanity that just kind of exist that we can ignore them, doesn't go away. Um, but despite how predominant some of these things are, it's almost as common for them to be rejected and snubbed. It's like this. There are some things that you know are true, or some things you know are false, but we still sometimes act as if we don't know. Can you relate to me? Sometimes we know better. We know we probably, for instance, there are some things that uh, um, you know we do and we know there are repercussions for doing them or some things that we shouldn't eat that we know we probably shouldn't eat, right? Maybe a certain time of day you're like me, if you drink anything besides water after now, you're probably going to be having heartburn in a couple hours. That's just part of um, my broken body. Uh, um, if I stare at a screen too long, I'm probably going to have a headache. Those are some things that I and then for that instance, I still have to, whether it's going to make it hurt or not. But there's some things that we do, there's some things that we believe or that we acknowledge are real or true, that even though we do believe and even though we do acknowledge, we kind of just live as if it isn't the case. And we'll talk specifically about one thing tonight, um, and you probably, based on the notes, you already know what it is. But uh, I want to ask you a question um, that's going to lead us into our text. There's one truth that is accepted by pretty much everybody, but ignored by pretty much everybody. Now, that makes no sense. How in the world could that be? I think once we talk about this for a little while, it'll all start making sense. So let's follow along with me in Jeremiah 13, through verses 17. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash around your waist and loincloth. And put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, arise, and go to the Euphrates River, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And now it came to pass, after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash, which I command you, to hide, to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it, and there was the sash ruined, profitable for nothing, or it was good for nothing. It was useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, in this manner, I will ruin the pride 
of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. It is good for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of man, so I've caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, for glory. But they would not hear, and I'm inputting this, and they detached themselves. Therefore you shall speak to them this word, thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. Hey, you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the priests all the inhabitants of Judah, Jerusalem, with drunkenness. I will dash them one against one another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but will destroy them. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud. One of the most simple, straight commandments in the Bible. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death. Darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will be bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. So... Fill in the blank, the answer, what is a truth accepted by pretty much everyone, yet also ignored by practically everyone? The answer is the danger of pride. Now, I'm going to talk about pride for a little bit. We all will agree on these things, but the problem with uh, pride, as much as we agree about these things, we also struggle with this thing. That's the devil that is pride, the demon that is pride. Almost everyone has learned from experience and operation that pride is the downfall of so many. Yet almost everyone at some point or other ignores that pride could be downfall. Do you follow me? We all will agree that pride goes before their fall, but we often ignore that pride is actually about to go before our own fall. Isn't it true that almost everyone is blind to their own pride, even though we are so often blinded by others' pride? I mean, we can see pride a hundred miles away. I can tell you someone who is proud, but I can't see my own pride. Now, maybe you all are a little bit more astute and in tune with yourself, but I can say, and I think a lot of humans struggle with this, we can see pride, and it makes us mad, doesn't it? It makes us kind of feel like, what kind of, you know, what is that person? Who do they think they are? Yet, we often don't see our own pride, and... and, and I think we got to wrestle with this, you know, what do we make of this? I don't know about y'all, but to me, this tells me that pride and human nature are joined at the hip. Pride and human nature go hand in hand. As in, if there's one thing that is at every human, now we know there's a lot of things at the nature of every human. We know sin is at the nature of every human. But if we want to take sin and kind of give it something, give it more of an identity, more of a something that we can understand what its motive is, Pride is at the heart of every one of us. Now that explains how it's so prevalent and obvious. It also explains how we could at the same time underestimate it in our own lives and fall victim to it. Because that's pride's nature, isn't it? Pride realizes it, but tells us it's not our problem. 
You see how sinister and slick it is? There are many, many things that some may agree are problems and involve victim too, but I think pride is the one thing that a majority of people will universally agree is toxic. Yet the same majority struggles with the poison. And I think this is something that if you're, you know, if you kind of just look around, every culture, every religion, even pagan and secular culture, have fables and proverbs that talk about how dangerous pride is. You can look up a, 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 a fairy tale or a fable from the other side of the world in another culture, and you'll find a story about how pride is the downfall of many. Chinese proverbs to Aesop's fables, pride is a poison. Now, one of the oldest and most often implemented moral lessons in storytelling, watch a modern-day Hollywood movie, and you're probably going to, one out of ten, one out of five, you're going to see a story about how pride causes somebody now, I think the reason we see this in stories is because we see it so much. I mean, think about this. How many sports, how many big, you know, uh, 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 sports events or, you know, games are the story of the, the team that had all the momentum and all the, re all the reasons to win, but they had, enough, had a lot of pride and they stopped. They went winless in the, in the you know, or they went uh, without a loss in the regular season. They get all the way to the final game of the playoffs and they lose because their pride was great. We see it in politics, don't we? I mean, hey, they should not lose. They cannot lose, but then they lose, right? And it goes back and forth. And we see this in our country, back and forth with every part. We see it in businesses, right? That business is too big to fail. Kodak is always going to be the one with the camera company. And then something happens, right? They don't adapt to the times. They're too proud. And they go away. And, and, and we see that in any kind of business. We see it in church. We see it in families. We see it in really everything and everything. Yet again... I got here at number four. As much as we know it's a present threat to us all, there is a constant trap before us all because of this persistent toxin within us all. You follow that? As much as we know it's a threat, there are traps all around us because of the poison within us. We all accept pride as a problem, yet we all reject pride might be you know the only thing that could cause that kind of paradox? Pride itself. Because pride is stubborn. Pride makes us stubborn. And pride really turns us into kind of brutes and just difficult and ruthless people. Think about some of the controversy we've dealt with this year. And, and I'm not getting into, I'm probably getting into opinion to too controversial subject, but I don't care. Think about the subject of masks. Okay? This is not about whether masks work or don't work. But the only the major reason a lot of people didn't want to wear a mask was because somebody told them to, right? Now, that might not be your reason, but the majority of people said, this is America, you don't tell me what to do, even though people tell them to wear seatbelts and shoes. You can't go to Walmart without shirts and shoes, right? I'm not, you can't, and, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to, you know, I, if you don't want to wear one, you can, that's fine. It's your choice. But we live in a world where people don't want to be told what to do because pride says, you're not my boss. Pride doesn't want to submit to anybody. Now think about this. Pride is the reason why our country is so partisan. Right? I mean, Republicans and Democrats would rather suffer than admit the other side might be right one out of hundred times, right? I mean, we might, they might not ever be right, but if they were right one time, we probably still wouldn't agree with any credit. And that's the reason why both sides are destined to suffer setbacks again and again and again. We'll never learn. And it isn't just about politics, it's true in everyday life. Men, 
and just three of us here, but men, we would rather waste time putting something together wrong than read the instructions. And you know, back before smartphones, you know, we don't want to go ask for directions. We'll find our way there. We'll eventually find our way there. And women, you know, y'all are the salt of the earth and don't have proud bones in your body. So, you know, I'm just, I know who the majority is. Y'all know what your proud issues are. But come on, we, I don't have to detail what pride uh, pride that we struggle with. We know what they are. We're ashamed of them, but we all defend them if the right person confronts us about them. You know, we all have these pitfalls of pride. I, I call them pride faults. Uh, we know them. We're ashamed of them. Yet in a lot of cases, we continually stumble because of them and into them. Because we underestimate how dangerous and court-ordered pride is. But there is hope. There is hope. But before we talk about that hope, does anybody have anything to say about pride? I, we're going to get to the resolution about pride. So if you know how to fix it, good for you. We're going to get there. But if, has anybody got anything to comment on pride? Maybe you've got some insight to bring about pride to the table before we move forward? Because I think we all have seen it. You probably definitely see it in the person you're married to, right? And they, they see it in you. But, uh, we've all been there, right? Family, we see it in others. But we don't like to acknowledge it in ourselves. Anybody got a story or anything you want to share about that? All right, well, there is hope, like I said. However, in order for us to overcome our pride, we have to understand what pride really is. And this is why I think Christianity is the only solution to pride. Pride is a spiritual issue, a spiritual issue above everything else. Here at number nine, pride is a direct result of a spiritual disconnect and spiritual deficiency. Pride is spiritual plagiarism. Now, what does that mean? Plagiarism is whenever you written something that you didn't write, or you copy and paste something, somebody else wrote it, and you signed your name on it. So here's the thing. Pride is saying, I'm writing my story, or I wrote my story when God's the one that wrote it. God's the one that's writing it. Pride is picking up God's pen to say, you know what? I'm in charge. It's spiritual plagiarism. So we take credit for what he's done. We also grab the pen from him. We suppose we can finish off the rest. And in our text, God has revealed to Jeremiah that pride is Judah's sin and rebellion against him. And I think we can copy and paste this for our own country, for our own families, our own lives. Pride has ruined Judah and pride has led them astray. Pride is going to keep them away, and that's what pride's MO is. Pride leads astray, pride keeps away. Pride gets you away from God, and it keeps you away from God. Jeremiah learns that pride has ruined Judah. God says the nation has been consumed on its own pride, and they are about to go too far. God reveals to Jeremiah what pride has done to his people. Verse 7 and 13 are the key uh, verses in this. Verse 7, God says that pride has made them useless. Pride has made them good for nothing. Pride has made them profitable for nothing. Notice in the parable that the sash was supposed to stay on them, but Jeremiah removes it as a symbol of them removing that connection they have with God. That connection, a, a loincloth, I don't have to go into great details, but a loincloth was a way to protect your loins, was a way to protect your waist, your abdomen right from being harmed because of the vulnerability of that area. It's the area that Adam and Eve had covered up the garden because
which that's the area that brings us the most shame if exposed. Now we're adults, I don't have to go into detail about that. But that's the area we keep covered because that's the area that reveals our shame. So understand this, pride is an area that we all are so prone to struggle in. And if we don't keep this loincloth there, if we don't keep that area covered, if we don't stay connected and attached to the Lord, we are risking exposing ourselves, we are risking doing ourselves irreparable harm, spiritually. Verse 13, this story goes on, and God says, because they have become so consumed by pride, God takes it to the next level, and God says they're drunk with pride. That he is giving them over to their pride, and he is causing them to be like drunk men. Notice, they filled all these bottles with wine. Now listen, even, you know, even they thought, why, we don't need to drink all that. That's not good. I mean, hey, we might want a few, but we don't need it all. But God says, no, no, you can't pick and choose. Pride's not something that you can just entertain and say, well, I don't want it today, but I want it tomorrow. When you entertain pride, pride controls you. So notice they went from one glass to the whole bar. But I want to talk about why pride makes us useless spiritually, makes us spiritually useless. The, the two big things at number 11. Pride deflects our weaknesses and projects a foe or a false sense of strength. Do you understand that? You know what? That's not a weakness of mine, even though we know it is. And the reason why it's obvious that we know it, because pride projects this aura of strength. This, I don't need any help, I don't want any help, I'm okay on my own, yet we can usually see through that when somebody else projects that fake, you know, uh, skin of strength. We know what they're insecure about. We know what is behind that, but we do it too, don't we? See, pride ignores a truth need that we have and embraces a false hope. Remember the story of King Saul? Saul was so insecure, and Saul was so worried about losing his job, losing his throne, getting replaced. He sabotaged his own son, exiled Jonathan from the kingdom, tried to kill David. Ultimately, what happened to Saul? He died because his own pride caused him to fall on his own sword. Think about the story of Solomon. Solomon, the richest man, the wisest man, but because of his pride, he let his morals go out of control. He set his son up to take over the kingdom, and, and of course all of Solomon's advisors told Rehoboam, you need to lower taxes. You're rich. You're filthy rich. Everybody else in the country is being overwhelmed by these taxes. Lower the taxes. And Rehoboam says, I won't lower them. I'll raise them. He said, if you thought my, my, you know, my father was prosperous, I'm going to make him look like a poor man. Rehoboam. He gave in to his pride. The story of Jeroboam, who inherited the kingdom when Rehoboam stumbled and, and gave it all away. Jeroboam became king. And because Jeroboam feared Israel going back to Judah to worship, set up golden calves in Israel to try to prevent that from happening. His own pride, he wanted the glory. He didn't want to share that with Judah, even though God wanted them to worship at one place. The story of Hezekiah, remember, Hezekiah prayed for God to add years to his life. He had, you know, something like cancer that was, you know, that had exposed itself, a tumor. God removed that tumor. And Hezekiah, uh, later in life, um, when the, the kings of Babylon came in to visit, the people of Babylon came in to visit, they asked Hezekiah, how did he get so prosperous? Why, how did he outlive his sickness? How did you make it this far? Hezekiah doesn't give God glory. He doesn't say this is what God did. He brings the people from Babylon into the, into the castle, shows them his wealth, shows them his weapons, shows them his armies, and eventually opens the back door for an invasion. Hezekiah dies a, a, a shameful man setting his own son up for failure and leading to an invasion 
from the enemy. So you see how pride doesn't respect persons. Pride gets in anybody and everybody. The story of Jeremiah is dealing with kings who refused to accept what they were facing and surrendered to God. And they thought they had to stand up and fight the king of Babylon, even though God told them to surrender. But pride wouldn't let them confess their true weakness, their true need. Again, the story of the loincloth, uh, one of the most underrated things about the story, God tells Jeremiah to go to the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River is in Iraq, Babylon. God makes Jeremiah travel 350 miles to do this demonstration. I think the whole point there is Jeremiah goes 350 miles, one way and back, and then 350 miles, one way and back, wastes so much time to show what pride will do to us. Waste our lives. As the loincloth was wasted in that dirt that it was buried in. So, again, all this showing us uh, that as Judah removed itself from God and tried to establish itself on it, it really hurt itself. Hurt itself. But that's what we all do. That's what pride makes us do. In removing ourselves from God, looking for satisfaction elsewhere, we have to convince ourselves that the other things that we turn to can do what God can do. You see, pride makes us think that pride, you know, distracts us and, and, and causes us to say, you know what, this is going to do, okay? This is going to substitute for God. This is going to get me where I need to go. And, and, and pride knows it's not. But pride won't admit it's wrong. See, so we have to lie to ourselves, and we know how much we've erred, yet pride causes us to double down on our sin, doesn't it? We turn to inferior things to find completion and only become more done. Now, I've never been drunk before, but the reference of alcohol, when you're under the influence, you can't help the things you do. I mean, once you drink so much, your body's going to deal with that toxin, and you really can't undo the damage until that substance is out of your body. When it comes to pride, we often get so far into rebellion and exaltation against God, we are too stubborn to turn back. Yet the Spirit of God is working to release us from the substance of pride and wants to help us get free. Verse 15 and 16 gives us the remedy. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God. Before He causes darkness, before your feet stumble, on the dark mountains while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense, makes it a dense darkness. So the, the commandment here is do not be proud, but give glory to God. If we don't expose and expel pride, pride will exile us from God, which is what the rest of the chapter talks about, Israel being exiled from God, and what chapter 17 talks about. Now, just in general, the Bible makes it clear. Pride will shut us out of God's guidance. Pride will cause us to not trust in the Lord. Pride will cause us to be unforgiving. Pride will cause us to hold grudges. Uh, it was pride that caused the older son not to forgive his younger son, even though God forgave the younger son in that famous parable. Um, but verse 16 says the only way to counter pride is to begin seeking God's glory rather than our own glory. Now listen to what God is showing us here. Our glory. We are seeking a temporary and dimming flame. You hear that? If we only ever seek our glory, now think of glory as a, as a torch that's burning. Think of it as a flame that is burning. 
If we only ever seek to add to that fire, we are only seeking to add to a temporary endemic flame. And no amount of kindling we can put on that fire is going to keep it from going out. Now here's what happens. When we are about our glory, we realize how fleeting it is. So we panic. And we become accept, obsessed with trying to keep that fire going. Using another analogy. It's like being in a boat that's flooding. We're in the middle of the ocean, the boat's flooding. And all we've got is a bucket. And it's like trying to take that bucket and scoop up the water and dump the water back over the side of the boat. But what are we doing the whole time? We're just giving the ocean more water to flood the boat. We can't shovel the water out enough or bucket the water out enough to prevent the flooding from taking over. That's what happens when we seek our own glory. We are seeking a And that's what God is saying about them being drunk. They are bound for exile because of their pride, because of seeking their own glory. Our glory, again, is dimmy and temporary at best. But here's the invitation. God is inviting us to replace our fading flame with his everlasting burning spirit. See, pride wants you to think that pride would love, the devil would love for you to hear this sermon and hear this truth and say, oh, God's just trying to make me, you know, God's just trying to tell me it's doom and gloom and there's no hope and I've got pride in me. But there's a better option. God invites us to replace our fading flame with his burning spirit. We can live for his glory that never fades. As Peter says, the grass fades, the flower withers, the flower uh, falls, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord, the glory of God remains forever. See, we can live for His glory. We can be made His child, and we become benefactors into the kingdom of God. We inherit a glorious estate. So here's where the exchange we can make. Is I'm going to quit living for myself, quit living for my glory, quit trying to add to my flame. I'm going to receive the Lord's. I'm going to live for His glory. You become a benefactor to a kingdom that has no end. You, you inherit a glorious estate of greater wealth and fame than we could ever add to our own accounts. There's nothing but a win for us. But our flesh sees this as a defeat, as a loss. What does the text tell us? If we exalt God, if we humble ourselves, we will not stumble. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? The meek, the humble, inherit the earth. See, we think that we've got to make sure we build up enough of our kingdom so that we don't lose something, but that's not how you inherit the earth. You inherit the earth by being humble and receiving the greater flame, receiving the greater glory, living for the greater kingdom. The secret the Bible teaches us so clearly, the pride will fall, the proud will fall, but the humble won't stumble. We've talked about the story of Peter a lot in our John Bible study and other times. Peter is a poster child for a lot of things, but one of the things we don't give enough attention to is Peter had a lot of pride, just like all of us do. Peter always would try to exalt himself over Jesus. Remember the time that Jesus gave that sermon about the, uh, the cross? He's going to go and give his life up, and Peter stood up on the stage that day and rebuked him. He rebuked him as Jesus used to rebuke demons. Peter used that same rebuke. He says, you know, basically says, that's not going to happen, Jesus. No, you're wrong. You're not going to die. You're a king. You're going to build us a nice palace and you know, all this stuff. And Jesus then rebukes Peter and says, you mind the things of man, not of God. There's another occasion where Jesus said it's impossible for people to be saved on their own. 
got here in your notes in Mark 10. Jesus talking about this rich man that couldn't give up as well. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So what is Jesus trying to say? We can't save ourselves. And then Peter chimes in. And says, well, we've left everything. I mean, look at what I've done, Jesus. I've given up everything for you. Hasn't that earned me salvation? And Jesus goes on to say, listen, Peter, everybody gives up everything that they've got and will by all means receive greater things to come. And he also says you'll be persecuted. But Jesus ends that by saying the first will be last, the last will be first. He ends that by reminding Peter and all of us that the key to following God, the key to salvation, is humility. Nobody gets saved because they're good. We're saved because we surrender, because we are humble before God. But Peter had to learn the hard way about humility. We know the story of Peter is one where he boasted instead of bowing when the, when the Lord suffered. He told Jesus he would never deny him. But of course he did. He slept when he should have been praying with Jesus in the garden. He fought when he should have been trusting when the guards came. He denied when he should have been defending there at the high priest's palace. So, if there's anybody that can give us a lesson on pride, it's Peter, isn't it? Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He might exalt you. So Peter gives us this commandment. How can we overcome pride with humility? Humble yourselves. But I can't do, I don't want to just leave you with that statement, be humble, because I think a lot of times we're told to be humble and we don't really know how to be humble, not saying you don't have any. But I think the Bible gives us a little bit more detail about what humility looks like. So in closing, I want you to flip over to Philippians 2, and I want to read to you about what humility looks like in practice. Because I think a lot of times we tell people, be humble, be humble, be humble. We need to understand what that humility is a, something we can practice and something we can do. Thankfully, Philippians 2 is a beautiful text that gives us clarity in what Peter was talking about, uh, about being exalted at the right time. Philippians 2 teaches us that the solution for a prideful heart is to take on Christ. So the solution for a prideful heart is to take on the heart of Christ. Humility is as much about doing as it is being. As in, what does pride make us? How does, what does pride do to us? Pride causes us to do stuff. To be a certain way. Yes, but to do certain things that are wrong. Humility ought to not just be a state that we're in, but to be something that we do and things that we do. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, if, any, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's, gonna, if there's a way that we can be like Jesus, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. And verse 3 and 4 are the big ones. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look, at, 
not look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Just as pride causes us to only do for ourselves, humility is a counter to that. As in it is seeking to serve others and do for others, if only to choke out this pride, proud nature within us all. You hear that? Humility takes so seriously the danger of pride that it actively fights against pride by focusing on somebody besides herself. Now, I know what we all want, what, what, what pride wants us to ask here. Pride says, well, I thought this was about God. Why'd you bring other people into this? Every person we're ever eyeball to eyeball with is a visual reminder of who we all belong to. Why did God not want the Jews to have idols? Because they had images all around them. Every one of us are made in the image of God. Pride is going to tell us that's silly and unnecessary, but of course pride will do that, right? So don't let that notion plant a seed. Paul tells us that we are to, if we are to, look, to expel pride and glorify God, we must live from this place of humility. We do a lot of glorifying God and expelling pride over the next couple of weeks if, if we just obey verse 3 and 4. What if we went out of our way to do verse 3 and 4 to those that are different than us? I need to, and to be honest, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. But that's because pride tells me I don't need to. God will always be glorified when we obey verse 3 and 4. Pride will always be defeated. Listen, you should do this because you should love other people, but for any other reason, for, this, for, for only one reason, you should do verse 3 and 4 because we know what pride will do to us if we don't do this. After all, it's the model Jesus left. Verse 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, coming the likeness of a man, being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him, there's that word, highly exalted him and given him a name, well, every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow heaven on earth, those under the earth. Come to confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So what is our example? Christ died for us. He put us first. You often wonder, maybe y'all don't know that. You often wonder, what good is accomplished when I do good for others that aren't good back to me? I often wonder, you know, why should I keep doing, being good to them because they don't, they're not getting it. They're never going to repent. They're never going to change. I love them and love them and love them. And they don't love me. And they don't do good for me. And they're not loving God. And I'm just helping. I'm just adding. Somebody will say to me, you're just adding to the problem. And I think, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just helping them out in their sin. You know who's telling me that? Pride. When I think, what good is there to be good to those people? I preached a sermon about how we should love people that are different than us there four weeks ago. About unity, politically speaking. And somebody said to me after the service, not y'all, I wouldn't do this to y'all. Somebody said, there's no good in doing that, because it's never going to change. Maybe they won't. But listen to what Jesus said. Those who love you, what benefit is that to you? 
Now, what do we what do we say? If you don't love me, if I love those that don't ever change, if I do good to those that never are good back to me, what good is that to me? But Jesus says the opposite. If you just do good to those that are good to you, if you love those that are who love you, if you do good to those that do good to you, what good is that? What benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So notice how Jesus takes that little voice in our head and flips it over. See, we say, what good is it to love people that are never going to change? Jesus says, What's, what good is it to love people that are already like you? Of course, he says we should do that too. Do good and live expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The secret to truly being exalted by God. By humbling ourselves. Good to one another. As God has done to us. Now, I, I mean, after all, are we always good to God after He's been so good to us? Not hardly, right? If the secret to overcoming pride is following the path that Jesus has already laid for us by doing good for those. Again, we should do it for them, but if only to keep pride from getting us. That's a reason. That's another you know, we've let pride call the shots for too long. I have, at least. And to what good? For what glory? For whose glory? Not anything good. And not God. So let's decide tonight. Try to fade away. And to let humility lead the way. Now y'all are humble people. Sometimes... Pride will sneak its way up on your shoulder. It will whisper into your ear. Over the next couple of weeks, over the next couple of months, maybe yesterday, tomorrow, today, pride will say to you, what good is that doing? Pride would love for us to look in the mirror and say, you know what? It's all about me. It's all about what I've got going on. But we see what that does. Don't let that poison be your pitfall. Expose it. Expel it. Father, thank you for this uh, crash course and something that is so important. Lord, every one of us deal with pride. And Lord, we often look for things of this world to fulfill us and give us that confirmation and affirmation. But God, as we learn tonight, sometimes we're not going to get it. And we have to lean into you and rely on you and trust in you to exalt us and to show us the bigger picture. God wants me to make it all about me and wants me to just be a bulldozer and knock people down. And Humility says there's a better way to exalt Christ in all that we do, to lift up others, if only to lift up the gospel and the process, and if only to keep pride suppressed. So, Father, thank you for exposing pride in all of our lives. Lord, help us to bite our tongues. Help us to understand that little serpent in all of us that does not have our best in mind. And help us to be humble so that we won't stumble. Lord, we thank you so much for this truth. As much as we see it in others, Lord, help us to see it in ourselves and to get rid of it. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.